0: he's here he is here Cristiano has entered the building do us oh. a quick favor guys hit the follow subscribe button share this with someone who would benefit from it and help us grow as the more we grow the better the episodes we get thanks guys for helping us and let's get into the episode yes guys welcome back to the Sculptor podcast today i am doing a bit of a different type of episode as you can probably tell i don't have too much time unfortunately to i guess record an episode while sitting down and i am on my way to sydney so i have Obviously, decided to record whilst I'm driving. Now, we'll see how it goes. I don't know if many people have ever done a podcast like this before. But I thought we may as, uh, kill two birds with one stone, as I say. And, yeah, it's a bit of a creative one, obviously. And we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a little bit weird, you know, talking to my phone whilst driving. So, hopefully nothing, uh, happens. Because, well, I guess I've got it on video at least. That would be alright. And we'll see how the audio goes, because uh, the audio will probably be affected by the car. But, hopefully Adobe can work some magic on the audio, so it's not too bad. But, regardless, today's episode is going to be talking about why you don't have to love the work. So, it's a bit of a weird topic, I think, because... a lot of people think that you have to love the work that you're doing. And I think that in today's society, everyone's talking about, you know, if you don't love the, the job that you have, it's it's the wrong job for you. Whoa, <laughs> oh, sunny. Sorry. So everyone's talking about if you don't love the work that you're doing, then it's not the right job for you. Now, I take a very different approach to this. And now this could be completely personal. And I'm very aware of the fact that if you are not in the pursuit of excellence or you are not in the, I guess, let's say, the, the pursuit of becoming the best at said thing where it's a it's a journey that's different to others so let's say you're a teacher and you don't want to become the best teacher in the world then you can be okay with loving loving the job and in that case i would say you you probably should love the job that you're doing where in my case i'm saying you don't have to now that's because in the chosen area of which i want to go down i It's a very, very niche path where it's such a competitive world where the people who end up loving the job might not end up the top because that might be a hindrance to the path of which they want to go down. And what I mean by that is if I love playing football and eventually I stop loving it, then I quit. And if you quit, you'll never become the best at it. Now, if you don't like teaching anymore, you still can do it because, one, the consequence of you doing it and choosing another profession, it's probably not too difficult, so you can even go into something different. So you you don't have to love it again, but most people do love teaching, whether that's because they like to help kids out or whatever it is. I think that a lot of people would, if you're a teacher, you probably like doing it. Now, I think it's better if you do like doing it as a teacher because maybe it's a mundane job maybe it's not too fun for the average person to do now i think that teachers get a lot of joy out of seeing a child grow and get better so again maybe they don't really like the teaching aspect but they like the the aspect of helping kids in their own journey now I that could even be a process-based profession of which they again they don't like doing the work but they like the end result so even then you don't have to love what you're doing, but you can love the end result. And I think that's quite common in quite a lot of professions. Now, the the problem, I believe, with having people say that they, they need to love the work that they're doing, I think that there's a problem in that. Because every single day something different will happen. And sometimes that different, in your day-to-day life can dictate your emotion. And if you come into that same that same job of which you supposedly love every single day, and you come in with that same attitude thinking that this job's gonna be the saving grace to your happiness, you're wrong. It won't. Life sucks. Life will always win, life will get in the way. And loving your job, whatever it is, is not always a helpful thing. Now, as I've mentioned Loving your job in some aspects is a good thing. Now, as I referred to a teacher, teachers can love their job. got no problem with that. And if they don't love anything else and they just love teaching, sure, it's good. You know, I think that one reason why a lot of people also like teaching is not just because it's a fulfilling job internally sometimes, but it's also very rewarding in the aspect of where they are able to get a lot of holidays. You know, they get decent, pretty decent pay, consistent, reliable, all of that. You can love that, and again, that's not even necessarily loving the job, but it's just loving the the profession of which you do and the the result of which that profession fulfills and uh, bears fruit, and then also the things that come along with it, which is the the reward of holidays, you know you're able to spend more time with your family, and I'm sure that teachers love that, getting good pay. I guess that depends on where you are, but you're able to spend more time with your family as a teacher, you know, you can definitely love that. Now, as I was kind of mentioning before, where you don't have to love it, and I don't think that loving it's always a good thing, because if you stop loving it, then you're going to stop doing it. And I also believe that if you, I I think that if you love whatever you're doing as well, then when you get that hurdle, you probably stop doing that thing. So whether it's, it's a footballer, you get injured, and you, you lose the love for it. That's a common one that I hear a lot, actually. People lose the love for the game, they say. Now, for me, I guess, sure, you could say this is controversial, but I never had a love for football. But I'm still doing more training than you. I'm still <laughs> devoting my life more than you to football. And I never had a love for it in the first place. But why is it that I'm doing so much more for you, but I never liked it in the first place? So if you get what I'm saying here, so what I'm saying is, and I would like to have someone actually counter this belief because I personally don't get this belief countered too often. My mum and my sister and my dad, they might counter it a little bit. But I do think that there's truth to it, which is why maybe... It isn't counted too often because you aren't meant to enjoy every single day. Because how would you know that something is a good thing without knowing what the bad is? Now that's that's deep. How do you know that something is good if you don't know what the bad is? Now think about that. Think about that to a deep, deep level. If I am being rewarded for whatever I'm doing, whether it's Let's say okay. Let's go with a food aspect because it's instant gratification. Let's say you're eating sweets and you're eating sugars and you're not eating anything else. That probably comes quite mundane for you. So your good is at such a high level because it's it's constant reward, instant gratification. It's constantly good. It's constantly at the best it can be. Trying to get something better, that will be your happiness, because at the, the the level of homeostasis is such a high level of dopamine and reward that the only way you can get happiness is from even higher dopamine and reward. Therefore, if we relate that into a, into a life aspect of let's say football. Okay, this is going to be a tricky one to relate to, but let's say I am constantly loving the game and there's nothing. Nothing better than the game of football. Now life will naturally bring things that are better than football for you, at a, in, a, in a reward aspect of dopamine. There will be things. Now, as soon as you start loving that, that thing more than football, then if you're going off the base, do the things that you love, then you'll just move to move on to the next thing. So do you see what I'm saying here? So if you're going off the basis, I'm doing what I love, then Whatever you love the most in that time, and naturally, as humans, we will we'll change. We will adapt. We will evolve. As humans, we will change. So, if you keep on changing as an individual, then the things that you love will naturally change. Now, I don't believe that many people genuinely have a love for football. I think the affiliation of having a love towards a certain thing, maybe a certain feeling, is very natural in terms of. I love the feeling of winning. Now, if I was to go play another sport and have the feeling of winning, I'd probably have the exact same emotion. It's just that football got to me first. That could be a common thing for some people. Maybe they haven't gone outside of football, so they don't know that they love other things other than football. But for me, when I say that I don't love football, I believe that this helps me because I won't ever quit football because I lost the love for it, because I never had the love for it in the first place. I won't quit football because I don't find it engaging. I don't don't find it fun, you know, these things. I won't ever quit because of a a thing where you might quit, where you will quit because, you know, external reasons or maybe internal reasons, those things that make you quit or make you stop doing something. And I think even the amount of which you do it, I think that a lot of people who do something for the love of it, maybe you do have to have, and I'm not going to use the word balance, but maybe you do have to have a degree of healthy relationship with it, Where if you do too much of it, and just like when you spend too much time with a person, I'm not going to say that you don't love that person anymore, but you just become irritated. And when it's not a person, it's a, it's a, it's a thing of which you do. You're just going to become irritated with football. So if you do it too much, you're going to eventually lose the love. And that's what you see with a lot of people. They they say they lose the love for the game because they're doing it too much. Now, if I'm doing it too much, but I never had a love for it in the first place, then I'm going to keep going. I'm going to be keep going more than you. So I think having a love for it isn't necessarily the best way. If you want to become the best footballer on the world. Now, sure, if you want to become an average footballer, professional footballer, that is, or if you just want to play for fun, I've got... Okay I used to have a problem with that but this was something that I've come to realization recently that you can you can love football and just play football for football uh I never really used to understand that but speaking with a few more people relating it to aspects of my life or where I do things for fun and that's it now I don't really do things for fun that's not me but I've noticed tend like I've noticed things of which I might do that I may have previously also done for fun. Now, as I said, I don't really do things for fun anymore. But when I did, I could see how I could have a healthy relationship. Like, I wouldn't do it too much, but I do it every now and then for fun. That's it, just for fun. Now, the people who play football for fun, I don't think that they can sustainably do it, right? Because if you do it to a certain amount, you probably will lose the love for it eventually. And that's the thing. That's what I'm kind of saying here. If you do it, And often enough, and if you do it to a professional level, I think that you have to lose the love for it. You have to disassociate with it because you're going to have an unhealthy relationship with it because you shouldn't be doing something that much that you love because eventually it will become boring. And and so it should be because if you want to become very good at something, you have to do it often. And when you do something often, you lose the love for it because it just becomes normal. It becomes boring. And you reach that level of homeostasis of which it's just normal, referring it back to having a a very dopamine rewarding and rich nutrition to where the next best thing has to be better than your current level. So if you're constantly doing that thing and it doesn't get any better, you don't get more love for it. And I think that loving football, again, it's not loving necessarily the game, it's loving the results. Now that, if you just love the results of football, which which I can relate to, then there's always more to do because you can't to reach the top and to reach the most amount of results in football, you have to be at the top zero point zero zero one percent. So your love for the results, completely agree with that. That makes complete sense. And having a love for the results, I've got no problem with that. But people mask it in loving football. Now I don't think that people love football in 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 the highest level because if you if you truly love football, you would have had to have not played as much football as the others who uh, as the others who have played football as long as you so that's that's a confusing concept to get around but what I'm saying is that if you really love what you do, you can't do it to the same extent of which people who don't love it do it so if we were to compare myself and the next guy who loves football he's going to be training let's say for a healthy amount of sustainable love to a certain thing let's say that they have to be doing it three times a week now training three times a week for let's say an hour and a half three times a, uh, and let's say a game as well Now, so let's include the game in that so They're playing football three times a week, including the game. So they're training twice a week. And they're they're wanting to go on a professional journey. So they've played, in a week, four and a half hours of football, nothing more, nothing less. And they've got a healthy relationship with football. Now, in that four and a half hours, you're telling me that they have to be more efficient and more, I guess, specific in what they're doing in that four and a half hours than me. To become better than me. Because if I am doing 20 hours of football a week and I am very, very precise, focused, and specific with my training sessions, then my growth is going to be exponential compared to theirs. The amount of work that they're doing because of the love of the game and they want to become a professional footballer, that's just it. the work will, I will overpower the amount of work that they're doing. They are doing a quarter of the work that I'm doing out of the love of the game, but me, I'm doing it out of just the results, right? My growth will be so much quicker than theirs and so much more purposeful powerful. And again, if they're doing it for the love of the game, they're not putting in the same amount of detail, attention, and effort as I am. Therefore, their training, their games, they aren't as precise as me because their focus is towards enjoyment. Now, don't get me wrong, I enjoy playing football. Because I enjoy doing and chasing the things of which I put out in front of me to do. So I enjoy that. But I don't enjoy the training sessions of which are difficult. I don't enjoy dedicating my whole life to it. But I do it. And I do it more than you. So I don't know why you're you're still doing it for the love of it. If you want to compete at the highest level. Or even compete at at a decent level. Because if you're doing only... Four and a half hours of training a week. And you still want to get to a good level. The people who who don't love it. Will get there. Before you. And now. I really think. Right. The level of professional football. You can go. To Germany. The third division. You can go to the fourth division in England. Maybe even the fifth division in England. Maybe the fourth division in Germany. You can go to the first division in Australia. You can go to the second division in the US, you can go to the second division in Uruguay, you can go to the second division in Brazil. All of those players, probably, the exact same. They all do the same job as the other. The only reason why they have a job is because they need to fill spots in the team. It's not because they've got that flair about them. Now the people at the next level, they've got a bit of flair to them. You know, they do they do the job a little bit better or a little bit more consistent, consistently than the others. Maybe they have a better range of passing maybe they've got more composure on the ball maybe they've got a bit more skill on the ball maybe they've got a. as i said you know they've got that flair about them that's what separates the the baseline and i believe that anyone in the world can get to that baseline because at the end of the day it's not having that flair about you it's just the being able to repetitiously repeatedly repeatedly wow repeatedly do what you need to do that's what the baseline of professional football is so i believe that anyone can get to that level no matter what your life has thrown in your way in terms of being physically fit enough at least i believe that anyone can get to that level because it is it is a set job you know there's no there's no criteria sorry there is a criteria to it And that's expected and I I do believe that anyone can get to that. So let's say if you're doing it for the love of football and you want to get to that level, sure, do it for the love, but maybe you won't get there. Because, you know, maybe you get released and maybe you don't love it anymore because you got released. That might happen. So the love can only probably get you so far because at the top, when you're really competing with the top level people, they can't love it because they're doing it an unhealthy amount. To, now it's not an, an unhealthy amount. to It's like it's gonna kill you, but it's an it's an unhealthy amount for you to still love it because you can't love doing something so often, and and that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's just it's just very very difficult to get to that point of. And I, I'm not gonna use the word balance, but you could substitute the word balance here. But I don't use the word balance because I don't like the connotation of which of which comes with it. Because people believe that, you know, balance is is balancing out a a weight. Now, as I've kind of mentioned, I I, I understand a little bit now towards the people who want so and so balance. Um and I can understand that if you don't want to become the best in the world or whatever you're doing, then maybe, you know, you can have that. But for me that's just not really an option because whatever i do i'm not satisfied with mediocre i'm not i'm not okay with that therefore balance is not an option and it's not a feasible way of getting what i want so the the love for something is out of the it's out of the it's out of the cards for me uh, it's just not a it's not a way of which it's sustainable for me to keep because so many other people are able to do more without loving it that's what I that's what I want you guys to understand is that the people who don't love it are able to do more because the love for something has to be healthy now as I've said the football the, the obsession for football doesn't have to be healthy in terms of having a love for it because that's not it's not gonna get you to the top. Because it's so competitive. Football is so competitive. So the love won't get you to the top. It might get you to the baseline of professional football of which I've said is is common for all levels of football. I think that if you wanna be a professional footballer, you can do it. If you don't if you don't ever give up, I think that you can actually do it. Now I'm not I'm not taking into account for exceptions of where maybe there's a health condition that's stopping someone or there's an injury of which put someone out for multiple years and they can't do X, Y, and Z. But I'm saying for the majority of people who are in this pursuit, they can do it. No exceptions, um, to the to the rule. So maybe for the love of the game you can get there. Now the people who say that they really really love football and they're at the top I question that now this is again where I'd want someone else to be on the podcast to speak about and challenge me because I don't have that other view you know I'm only with my own thoughts right now, and I only really speak to people who are I, I believe like me in this in this area but having the love the top the top players they they can't I think that it's wrapped in the results. Because loving the results, you can always do better. How can you always do better at loving football? I don't know. I don't think you can. So if I'm thinking, if I want to love football a bit more to keep me going, I don't think that that's possible. Because what's the next best thing than loving football a little bit more? I think it's finding another thing that's not football. That's what I, that's what I think. Now, again, I'm only here my own thoughts. so I don't know what's right or wrong. I'm only thinking that this is my personal anecdotes and this this is this is what makes sense to me when I when I articulate it to you guys and when I articulate it in my head. But I think that if you're if you're a top footballer you can't love it because training day in day out multiple times a day especially when there's a team regulating that. I think that You can't, you can't sustainably love that. Like training every single day as a professional footballer. Even, even me, for someone who doesn't love it, going into a training session, I find that difficult by myself again. So, that's what I, that's what I feel about for people who quote-unquote love the game or lose love for the game and why, why not loving the game is important for, for reaching the top. Now. If we get to talking about why not loving the game is really, really good, I believe, and how it can help you, is by the trial and tribulation of said journey. Humans are not meant to be happy all of the time. In fact, if you are happy all of the time, back to the, the nutrition point, you aren't happy all the time. Because if you're happy all the time, it's implying that you've also had sadness in that time or unhappy moments. Because without happy there's no sad no way to hold on. Without without sad, there's no happy. And without happy, there's no sad. I don't know if... Wait, I still don't really understand what I'm saying. Hold on. What I'm trying to say in not a cliche way, which is what I was saying then, is that for you to have happiness, there has to be sadness. Because you have to be able to distinguish what is giving you the reward and what is not giving you the reward. Because if you're having this constant stream... streamlined level of said emotion then that is just baseline normal normal feeling. So if you have baseline normal feeling, and sure, it could be the highest level of feeling of where, you know, you're constantly feeling good. But if you're constantly feeling good, that's your new normal. So for you to experience anything beyond that, which would be your perceived happiness, because happiness is a level of emotion that's better than normal. So if your level of normal is so high, then your level of normal is gonna to have to be beyond most people's. So if you have a really good experience, you have to have had some bad experience. Now I also think that having bad experience is good, not just for that that level of reward where you can, uh, you can level up your happiness. Because if you're extremely sad, one thing would happen to you. So let's say if you're extremely sad for 99% of your life and then you have one really good day, that one really good day is going to be the best day you've ever lived because the rest of your days were, were bad, okay? So if you have one really good day, that will be the best moment of your life because everything else was bad. Now, the reason why bad is good is because if you are able to learn from the bad and make your level of bad, let's say your mundane life, now on the the opposite or the adjacent side of the extreme level of reward and happiness of which some people may get through day to day fulfillment, through day to day dopamine release the next best thing they have to achieve is the higher level, right? Which is sometimes unattainable for most. But if you're at the lower level, and your happiness only needs to come from small things of which it might be seeing your grandchildren. Now this is what I'm relating it to for old people. They don't have much happiness in their life. So when they see their grandchildren, it's the best thing for them. Now I think that's quite, it's not a bad way of life. If the small things, and, and you actually might hear people saying when they're older, it's the happiest time of their life because the small things matter so much. Now, that's because there's so much boring and mundane things in their life that when they get something small and when something good to them happens, it's it's so good. Now, I can relate that to my training. So when I'm training, and I don't like doing it, but I'm constantly seeking that, that next thing, constantly seeking that that next fulfilment and what that could be for, for grandparents. It's like, I'm gonna live another day. I wanna live another day. I wanna get the most out of my day so that maybe I can, I can see my grandchildren. Imagine that. Imagine having such a low level of reward and dopamine to which the smallest things are rewarding. Now, if the smallest things are rewarding to you, that means they come less frequently. Think about that. So, if you're getting constant small things happening to you, then that becomes your new level of homeostasis. So, then the next best thing has, has to happen. Now, what I think that sports is good, why sports can be good for this, and why it's important is because you don't get many moments of happiness or moments of reward. They can come through achievement, through training, through progress. But this only comes through action. It doesn't come naturally, particularly. Sure, it can happen through little effort in sports sometimes, in which maybe your team's doing well, you don't have much to contribute, but still, you do have some contrib- uh, con- contribution through your presence, through your action of being amongst a team. That can happen, sure. But it's... It's something that happens less frequently than other, other jobs, other professions. Let's say it's the weekend, you win, feel good, great. It's still not higher, higher, higher level. feels good in the moment, sure, move on, next thing. But if we're thinking about the, the championship, you know, you're winning the championship. You only get it once a year. Let's say you win it, let's say you don't win it, you're probably not going to win it two years in a row, you're probably not going to win it three years in a row. Let's say you win it a few years in a row, you're very lucky, but it probably statistically won't happen many times again. Now, the love of the pursuit is a real thing. It's what I have. The love of getting better, the love of improving. Now, I think that's important that I have a love for improving because you can always get better, so I'll always have a love for improving. I can have an unhealthy relationship with improving because you do get... Now, I'm going to have to think about this. So, if I have a healthy love for improving, I do get gratification along the way. Each training session, I think that I can get gratification along the way. But also, I probably get unsatisfaction from it so I guess what that is it's always a constant pursuit so it's always going to be keeping me on my toes because I might have a bad session and I might have to reevaluate and reassess where I'm at so I think that the unhealthy relationship with improving and and obsessing obsessing wow obsessing can be healthily unhealthy because my obsession with obsession is purposeful. So if I obsess over something too much, then my obsession will help me to realise that obsessing over that isn't the best thing. So it's it's two levels of obsession. So I'm obsessing over an obsession. Now this is something hard to conceptualise if you haven't been here before, I think. So what I'm saying... My level of obsession is healthy because my obsession to the obsession is keeping me obsessed. Now, that's wild. That's very difficult to understand. But I'm going to try and relate this to... Okay, I can give this a a personal anecdote to where I have obsessed too much and then toned down that obsession because I realized it wasn't helping me. But I started acting on that because I realised that if I wanted to become the best at something, my obsession for that thing had to be toned down. But if I wasn't obsessed, then I wouldn't have toned it down. So my obsession of obsessing over something is still there, but the obsession to the original thing, so the obsession over football, has changed. But the obsession of becoming the best footballer in the world hasn't changed. Wow, that's actually exactly what I want to say. So my obsession with football, and just the obsession with football and becoming better as a footballer, stays stagnant. Because I need to find out the right level of obsession for it. So the obsession for that pursuit, sorry, the obsession for the pursuit stays stagnant. It's always gonna be as obsessive as as tomorrow. But the obsession level for football and whatever that football looks like will change dependent on the results of which I am getting. So if I am obsessing too much with football, and this is what I did, I would train before a game because I wanted to improve as much as possible. So I was obsessing over that too much and then that was hindering my performance. So I wasn't cognitively there because as Dan Abrams has, has gone through before, how the cognitive attention span of which can can be fulfilled at the highest level is limited. It's a limited resource. So you have to obsessively manage that obsession for football to get the most out of it. So therefore you have to manage your obsession but you can still be obsessed with managing your obsession's obsession. <laughs> very, very difficult com- uh, complex to get around. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate this more to that personal anecdote. So me toning down my obsession of football, if I wasn't obsessed with the results, but only obsessed with football, then I would have kept training on match day because I was obsessed with football. But because I'm obsessed with the results of me obsessing over football, I then toned it down to regulate my obsession of football. So my obsession level is still there but my approach and obsession with football has changed because my obsession with the results of which come with football is still very relevant. Now again, this makes sense to me and I'm articulating it in the moment with you. So, I haven't done this specifically and gone through this many times of where I have gone and let's say gone through specific moments of when I have thought about my obsession for obsessing. I haven't really thought about that too much. But now, speaking with you, I'm putting it into words. And I think that it makes sense, but I can't. Because I don't have a second person here speaking with me, I can't relate it perfectly. I'm going to have bias, and I'm going to have confirmation bias in that, because it's just me here. Now, I'm aware of what I'm saying could be completely wrong. I'm I'm, I'm aware of what I'm saying could be completely misunderstood. I'm aware of all of that. But... I'm trying to also oppose my view. Now, how can we oppose that view? I think that, let's say, now it's going to be difficult for me to oppose it because I am so strongly believing of what I'm saying because it's 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 where I think my headspace is, and I think it's where my headspace has been for quite some time. So, how could I counteract this belief? Let's think about that. If I was to counteract this belief. Is obsession bad now i I think this goes back to the love of it now maybe obsession is bad in some areas okay let's think about having a complete obsession for football that's bad because I, I've already said if I was completely obsessed with football then I would have kept training on that match day <laughs> so if I kept training on that match on that match day and I was so obsessed with football. Then I wouldn't be able to become the best in the world. But also, my obsession for coming in the best world doesn't have to do with football in in that aspect. Because my obsession for the results is dry. It's driven through the football obsession. I think my camera's moved a little bit. Um. So I think that obsession. To a degree, has to be unhealthy. Let's get the focus back in. The obsession has to be unhealthy. Now, is that a bad thing? It definitely comes with negative repercussions. So, what I mean by that is if I am obsessing over something, then my focus and attention has to be deferred or deterred from somewhere else. Therefore, There will be consequences for my obsession. Yes. Full stop. There will be consequences for my obsession. Whether I'm okay with those consequences or not is purely subjective and is purely perspective. What I mean by that is am I okay with moving overseas and spending less time with my family because of an obsession? I am okay with that only if I get this result. So again, I'm bringing the two-aspect obsession into it. So to a degree, that second aspect of obsession is keeping it healthy, but also keeping it unhealthy. So it's a regulation and monitorization of two levels of obsession. That's a difficult concept to get around. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going with this this secondary perspective. And I'm thinking of which the obsession is bad because it's going to come with repercussions. Now, the level of repercussions is subjective to the people who I'm around. It's, it's subjective to my perspective as well. So it's whether I believe that my obsession to this thing is going to reap results, reap rewards, bear fruit. I believe that if I do become a professional footballer, my relationship with my family will be better. I believe that my relationship with the people who I'm around will be better. I believe that the life lessons of which football can teach me will be better for that obsession. Therefore, I see the trade off, of obsessing over football, as a beneficial trade off for me in my life right now. Now, that could change. I don't know. It could change though. So, right now, I see that obsession with the return on investment of my time my energy and my everything really i see that return on investment quite high. now that can change that can change due to internal stimulus or external stimulus now that could change to external stimulus because let's say something happens with my family of which maybe i need to spend more attention to now i can't spend more time with them now that perception and uh, attention of which I dedicate to football may have to change because of the importance and the the what is it called when you have something at a higher level than another the the importance the I, I forgot the word but the, it's it's kind of like the relevance of which you pay attention to something so the. The prioritization, So the priority of my vision of where I want to go can change due to situations in my life. So right now in the current situations and the perspective and the priorities of which I have, professional football and becoming the best in the world is still a sustainable thing for me. Now, if you look at the best in the world, they would have had to have had that perspective stay pretty stagnant for most of their life or they would have had the trade-off be more returning and more fulfilling for them to keep doing it than to stop doing it now very difficult concept to get around again and i don't know completely how i can relate that to but to the the point of which i've been saying now the obsession and the trade-off has to return on the reward of which you give to it that's again it's not an easy concept to come to but it's something that maybe only some people can allocate it's something that maybe only certain demographic people can conceptualize and maybe this is why a lot of people just stop because they, they maybe they don't conceptualize this Maybe they don't understand why they feel this emotion or maybe why they've lost the love of something, for example. Maybe they don't understand why their priorities have changed. Maybe it's due to external events of which maybe their priorities have changed. This can be reasons why people stop doing something. And, and I can't give you a complete reason or a complete crystal ball knowledge of my current circumstance and and where that is. I'm telling you right now, for where I am right now, in this moment, for me, the current trade-off of becoming a professional footballer and obsessing over something, that trade-off is still the, the investment and return on that investment of my time, money, everything, I see that being as more financially beneficial, more time beneficial, more freedom beneficial in the long term than it is for me right now, uh, than it is for me wherever I am. So w- what I mean is where I am right now, the goal of which I want to pursue is something of a trade-off of which I'm willing to give away because I think that what I get for that trade-off is more than more than what I give. So that's, that is completely subjective to an individual. Now I can't say for every single individual that is playing football would have that same approach. There might be people where they're they're not actually getting a return on the the time and effort of which they're giving. And that may be due to they actually have to worry about where their next meal is coming from. And if they are too busy worrying about football, then they might not be able to live for a long life. So if their obsession becomes to life-altering, so there has to be a degree of, what is it called when you, privilege, there has to be a degree of privilege to actually even pursue a goal of that magnitude, or there has to be a degree of such dire lack of privilege to where it's, it's do or die. The middle ground, yeah, maybe you still can but I feel like there has to be more raw, innate talent to get to the top quicker than anyone else so you can start reaping the reward earlier. Because to a degree, if you pursue something for too long and your identity isn't ingrained in that thing, not, not to an emotional level, but to where that's the only thing you can afford to be doing, then that will come with consequences if you don't get reward for it. So if you're in the media, mediocre, level of football and you aren't getting rewarded for it eventually you probably have to stop because then your life events life will take over you can't live at home for too long you can't know where your meal is coming from maybe you don't even have somewhere to live now now let's say you're at the very bottom of privilege and it's do or die. literally it's all you've got you'd rather go out trying than die not doing anything so you'd rather Give it all you can or you have to be privileged enough for you to fail what you're doing to then fall back on something else so i'm in a situation of which i am privileged enough to where i am able to to quit football tomorrow and not reap major re, repercussions for doing that said action so i have a lot of privilege in that Therefore. My obsession is okay because I am able to have that trade-off of privilege. Now, as mentioned, I think that you could also have that lack of privilege and have the same trade-off because maybe you have to. And notice I use the word have to because it is so dire that you have to do something else. Now, in the position of which I am, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to. I'm privileged enough to where what I can do, I can do it to a low level and still live. Okay. Now, also the country which I live in allows me to do that. Because if I was to not work for a month and show the government that I'm doing that, I would be able to get paid. So, it's a cheap way of life and it's a very unfulfilling way of life. But I couldn't do that, so that's kind of the level of privilege for privilege and un- unprivileged, which comes with pursuing the goal of at zero point zero one percent. Now, what I want to also talk about is the life aspect of why failure and and, and disappointment is so important. And it it kind of does tune in with what I've been saying, but also about the homeostasis levels. But now I wanna go into the terms of where being sad and and being not completely happy with where you are is important because it brings you to a, it, it, it keeps you accountable, I think. If you're constantly sad, with where you are, then the only way of which you can get out of that sadness, sadness should be a driving factor for change. Because if you aren't happy with something, it should make you want to change something. And I think that what depression is and what that victim mentality does is it's looking in the future and not seeing a possibility for change. So it's kind of looking at the past as well and seeing the things of which you have done and the things that which you may be doing in the future. There's no positive way out of it. That's what I think that depression could be. I think that it's it's the, it's the framing of events and the perception of events of which have happened in one's life after that point and then also the, the future projectile for one's life after that point point. and that can be in a, that can be framed in a very negative way of which hinders an individual so if you can then frame the events of which have happened to you in your life so far to (laughs) shape the individual of who you are today in not a positive aspect because you can't shape every action of which has happened to you into a positive aspect unless you're okay with the person of who you are so if you aren't okay with everything in your life shaping you as the person who you are, then I would say you're probably not okay with the person of who you are, because if you you can't understand that the surroundings and the events which have happened to you today have shaped the person who is sitting right in front of you, right here, right? If I can't conceptualise that every single event of which has happened to me since the day that I was born or could understand human consciousness has shaped the level of which I am right now. That you can't understand who you are as an individual because if you question things then you can't direct the the reason for that shaping to identify with that thing that i don't think i've said that too well but what i'm trying to say is that identity of an individual comes through the past and comes through the future projectile so if i'm saying that i believe that i can do this because of I know my tendencies or I know what I can do in the future to make those tendencies happen, then I can have a framed perspective of everything that has happened to me has happened for a reason, and it could be my fault. And if it's not my fault, I've had influence over it. And if I haven't had direct influence over it, I can directly influence the future projection of that thing. That is Something that people will have to come to terms with because it's the truth. It's not an easy truth to come to terms with because it does mean taking extreme accountability and responsibility for those things. But if you do frame things in that perspective, you will be better off for it, which is interesting. Because if you are able to frame things for being better off for believing in something, even if it's the wrong way of thinking. Maybe it can help you get to that right way of thinking because of the the delusion of which is actually helpful. So there is a level of helpful delusion to help you get to where you want. Because if you aren't that thing, then the only way you can get to that thing and if you aren't that thing completely, the only way you can get to that thing is through a level of delusion. And that that's important, but I think also understanding the level of delusion is also important because you can't be completely delusional. Being completely delusional is... It's not, I wouldn't say unhealthy, but it's it comes with a lack of self-awareness. And a lack of self-awareness is bad because then you can't have the The empathy, the social skills to get the most out of yourself, even so I think that that's important to have the understanding and things like that but yeah to to the point really is it's we have to we have to understand who we are as people, and we have to take responsibility for the things of which happen to us. Because that will help us get the most out of our lives. So taking extreme accountability and responsibility. How can you do that? Now, it's not an easy thing to do, but I think first the first step is actually understanding what I've said previously and what I've repeated. Maybe every every single episode, I've probably repeated this quite frequently, that the things of which happen to you are down to the result of everything that you've done in your life. If it's because the way someone's treating you, that's your fault. Yes, it can be their fault as well. But if you did it differently, they would treat you differently. If you didn't do this to someone, they would do this to you. Now, I'm not saying it's a complete inverse response. there, There are good in people. There is more good than bad in people, typically. And there will be, a, a a good individual should be able to understand, a, a high empath, empathetic person, someone with a good social understanding of how people work at least, would be able to understand, treat everyone with the same amount of respect, no matter what they've gone through. Now, that is Assuming that that person is a good individual, and you can't always assume that out of everyone. And everyone is going through a battle of which you maybe don't know about, whether it's an internal battle or an external battle. People are constantly going through things that you don't know about, and maybe you do know about it, but maybe you don't understand it to the extent of which that person is going through because maybe you can't relate to it. So, having that social skill to understand an individual's perception. It's very important to get the most out of yourself and to also tailor your environment to get the most out of wherever you want to go. So that looks like, for me, if I understand that having good people around me can help me get the most out of me, having competitive people around me can push me to become even better, Now, what I need to do to tailor my environment to that is find those people. Have the social skills to keep those relationships. Now, that's leaving no stone unturned not leaving things to chance. I have to take accountability and responsibility for my environment, for the people who, who I surround myself with, the information of which I consume, the information of which I give out to people. I can understand of which the information of I'm telling you right now, you might not completely agree with it, you might completely agree with it, you might not even understand what i'm saying just because it's all situational and it's dependent on your life events of which have happened to you up to this day the emotions of which you feel the colors of which you see this is actually an interesting one the colors of which you see right now are not the same colors of which i see right now the perception and the palette of which you have in your eyes and in your retina is completely subjective and different to the ones of which I see. So my blue, now you can't describe a colour without describing another colour to describe it, or using a shade. You can't use other words to describe a colour. Now what that is, that's also describing someone's life events. You can't describe someone's events in their life through other ways without literally describing the events of which have happened to their life. So, it's a difficult thing to come to terms with, but let's say yellow. I see yellow as a lighter shade of red. Now, let's say for, I think it's one in 20 or something like that, in the world, I think a red-green colorblind. So, they might see that as something different. So the perception of that changes on person to person. Now that goes in tune with whichever perspective you have on something. Your your perception of something is completely altered by your life events, where the color, the perception of color, is completely affected by your retina and your genetics. Full stop. The perception of an event or a circumstance of which you are in or which of someone else is in is completely subjugated to the event, every single event of which has happened to someone's life. Therefore, the perception, my perception of what I have said today makes complete sense to me because this is what I have articulated through my life. This is what I have put two and two together through for all of the years of my life and through all of the challenges and all of the the confirmation bias of which I've had in my life this is now the opinion of which I have so all of my circumstances and environment have tailored me towards this this specific view now all of the events and the circumstances of which have happened into your life up until this date shape your view now I can't say whether your view is right or wrong because I don't know what is right or wrong what I know is right or wrong is merely perception of an accumulated graph of people who have put their decisions together to create a general and a generally accepted social populist perception of what is right or wrong. Crazy. So what is right or wrong is merely the average of what most powerful people in the society of today have said is right or wrong. Therefore, whatever I say, take with a grain of salt. Whatever I do, don't do it word for word or action for action because whatever works for me might not work for you due to whatever has happened previously in your life, which I don't know. Say if you have a problem with maths and I say you need to calorie count. Calorie counting might not work for you because you don't know what two plus two is, right? Therefore, that might not be a great way for nutrition for you. Just like the same way, let's say, Calorie counting isn't the right way of nutrition for me because I obsess over it too much. Or I have a different way of thinking because of this event that has happened in my life. So therefore, everything of which I say, do, and advise, well, I can't say I even advise. I just say that I give another perspective because I can't advise you to do anything unless I've done it myself and you try it. And then you give me the evaluation of which has worked for you. And then I can say, okay, well, if that's worked for you, maybe this is another way of approaching it to get better results. It's not an easy easy thing to conceptualize. But what I'm saying, and how we can relate this to the love of things, is that what I'm saying about the love, don't take it word for word. Don't take it as if this is the right way. What I'm saying is I'm giving you... My personal anecdotes and my personal evidence of why loving it doesn't help me. Now, I I probably did use the wrong terminology of how I was saying it helps everyone not to love something. But also, I'm going off generalizations and human psychology. I think that that makes sense. Now, I can be completely wrong. I'm aware of that. I can be completely wrong. But give it a go think about it see how you relate to it think about areas of which you might be able to think okay well I, i mean eating i think eating is a good one for everyone because you know you can't love eating because you might have a plain piece of toast and that's completely boring for you you hate it but when you have I don't know, a no snickers bar you love it therefore there is a love hate relationship with food because what you love and what you don't love is completely subjective therefore i'm trying to let someone go it's a bit awkward therefore having a healthy relationship with food is always subjective to an individual therefore having a healthy relationship with anything is completely subjective to that person's experiences interactions and everything like that therefore what i'm saying is merely my own perception and my own anecdotes, my own experiences that, that have shaped my my decision making through this day. Now, as I said, I can go through scientific things of which I've given of why I believe that. Now, I didn't refer to direct scientific things, but I'm using human psychology to help you understand why having a love for something can hinder you because having a love for something implies there is a a counter act to that thing because you can't love something that you're doing 24/7 so for you to love something you have to be doing something else to also love it that's what i can give you and that's the perception of which i can share with you what you do with that again very very individual and completely up to you But what I can say is that that's how I see it working. That's what I see as plausible. And I think that that does make sense to a degree because that can be subjugated to human psychology and how we work as individuals. Now, I have completely butchered this part. But from this, what you could do right now is let's go through the things that you love to do. Where do you get the most satisfaction from? The things that you get the most reward from. It could be video games. It could be, let's say, it could be playing football, right? I don't don't know what you love, but if you write out the things that you love right now and the things that you hate doing, just bringing self-awareness to the things of which Give you reward, give you gratification, give you a sense of fulfillment, dopamine, whatever that is. be aware of it and and try and understand what has happened to get you in that perspective of doing the said thing. So I think self awareness is the biggest thing understanding. Am I doing this for X? Am I doing this for Y? But then also, creating a, an approach to it. How do you want to approach that thing? Is it? Do you want to approach it in an attitude of which you want to become the best in the world at? And if you do want to become the best in the world at something, then I don't think having a love for it is the best way of doing it. Do you think... That the, the, the billionaires in China have a love for making roads? Do you think that the billionaires in Russia have a love for making guns? Do you think that the billionaires in Australia have a love for selling meat? Probably not. Probably don't love doing it, but you know what they do love they love the result because there's always more to do. the path of which gave them that fulfillment of the results could change tomorrow and I think that most people would be okay with that, just like why I could quit football tomorrow and be okay with that and do something else because I think that whichever attitude I bring to the table, I could translate into another area of life and bring the exact same attentiveness to and the exact same drive and awareness to to get the most out of it because I think that it's a translatable aspect in in all circumferences anyways I've obviously arrived at my location in Sydney and I am going to head out but you don't have to love it you don't have to love it especially if you want to become the best in the world at it and if you do want to become the best in the world at something that I actually don't think you should love it And I've given you the reasons why I don't think you should love it. Now, what you do with that, as I've said, it's completely up to you. But there's definitely a lot of food for thought there. So I challenge you guys to think about it and think about which areas relate to you and which areas don't. But thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode.